there's been a lot of studies done over the last 40 years or so that really talk about, well, that the way that you see yourself really determines to a large degree the way that you act and the way that you react in life. Ever think about that? That your self-perception or your self-worth or your self-esteem tends to be a governing factor in your life. So, for example, if you see yourself as a loser, well, you'll end up to a large degree acting like a you know, loser. If you see yourself as a victim, you're going to let people victimize you in life. If you see yourself as uncreative, you're probably not going to come up with a whole lot of creative ideas. You sort of set yourself up, in other words. On the other hand, if you see yourself as successful, then you tend to repeat successes that you've had in the past. This isn't really a new discovery. Thousands of years ago, the Bible said, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. The Bible teaches very clearly that your beliefs determine your behavior. So this morning, I just wanna take some time to look at this truth, to look at the truth about what God actually does have to say about you, because I do think it makes a difference. The Bible says this, that the truth sets us free. And nowhere is that more true than what God says about you, right? Now, to set the stage for this one, as we continue on through this study of 1 Peter, we find that Peter is writing to a bunch of pretty discouraged believers at this point, right? People who are taking some pretty heavy blows to their self-esteem. They're being persecuted for their faith, fed to lions because they're believers, hunted down and rooted out of the towns in the Roman Empire, and just in general having pretty brutal time. And if you remember from the last couple of weeks, as Peter begins to address this crowd in the last chapter, he first just begins to focus them in on what God has done for them and what he's done for us. And so he talks about that encouragement. In chapter two though, as we begin that chapter today, he focuses on this theme, this is what God says about you guys, this is what he says is true. And he mentions three titles, three characteristics, analogies of what you are if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And each of these terms, as we take a look at them, probably deserve a full-length message, to be honest, because they're just so jam-packed with tons of meaning. But the bottom line in what this passage is ultimately saying is just this, that these things are true about you, absolutely true as one who is part of God's family. So what is Peter saying is absolutely true? What does God say about you is absolutely true? One of the first things he says is this, I am acceptable. I think most of us spend our entire lives trying to earn acceptance, don't we? We try to earn it from our parents, from our peers, from our partners in life, from people that we respect, from people that we envy. The drive to be accepted is actually a deep drive that drives us to do all kinds of things. It can influence the kind of clothes that you wear, the kind of car that you drive, the kind of house that you buy, even the career that you choose. I mean, would you agree that people do the craziest things to be accepted? Remember when you were a kid and just wanted so badly to be in the in crowd that someone would say, I dare you, I dare you to do this. And then you did, didn't you? You did something that was either stupid or even a risk to your personal safety, but you did it anyway because there was a desire to be accepted that kind of overruled the desire for personal safety in your life. We just love that feeling, the feeling that says, I'm okay, I'm accepted. Somebody has chosen me and accepted me. This is awesome. Remember playing baseball as a kid and dividing up into the teams? I mean, usually the best two players would be captains. You know, it's just the way it worked. And as they were choosing up the sides, you were thinking, oh man, I hope I get chosen by this team. 
because they're the winning team. I mean, they're going to win this game. The winners are on that team. And if you got chosen by them, wow. Remember how great you felt to be chosen by the better player? On the other hand, remember how bad you felt when they got down to the last two or three and you still weren't chosen. <laughs> I actually had an example of that a few years ago. I actually went on a mission trip with Mike. And one of the things that we did in the evenings, we playing flag football, right? And so we divided up into teams. These guys didn't know me at all. And, and I, I'd been a pretty good athlete back in the day, right? But they were choosing up teams. And I guess because I looked like this, you know, I was the last one chosen. I never experienced that before. It was hard. I felt not accepted. I felt not loved. I felt all those different things. But I also had this huge desire to prove myself worthy. Why? Because we love that feeling of being accepted. Somebody chose me for an award, for an honor, for a promotion, for some special opportunity. But you know, probably one of the happiest days of my life was the day that my wife chose me and she said yes to my marriage proposal. Fact is, I don't care what anyone else thinks of me. My wife still chose me and she still chooses me today. When you are chosen, that does tremendous things for your self-esteem. So the first thing Peter says is this, you are a chosen people. You have been chosen by God. That ought to raise your self-esteem. Christ has accepted you. And there's no condition listed there. It's not based on your performance, on something that you earned. You'll never deserve it. God simply says, I chose you. Many of you hold Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but have you realized that Christ has chosen and accepted you and that he did that first? It's kind of a funny thing to think about, actually. But it's why you don't have to earn it. It's why you don't have to prove yourself. It's why you keep finding the strength to keep on going because God has chosen and accepted you. You are his child. Now, some people think I've got an unpleasable God up there. I've got to be a good boy or a good boy or a good, good girl to be accepted, but that's just simply not true because he's already accepted you. That's why it's such good news. You have already been accepted by God. What else does he say? He says, I am valuable. He says, not only are you accepted, you're valuable. So let me just ask you, how much do you think you're worth? <laughs> no, I'm not talking about net worth. I'm talking about your self-worth. Don't ever confuse your valuables with your value as a person. You can be rich or poor, but it has nothing to do with your value as a person. So what determines value? There's actually a couple things that determine value in life. And one of the first ones is this. It depends on what somebody is willing to pay for you or to pay for something. So how much is your car worth? Answer, probably not as much as you think it is. How much is your coin collection worth? Same thing. Truth is your house or your car or your coin collection are all worth what it is that somebody is willing to pay for it. No more at all. How much is a baseball card worth? Interesting question. To some, it's not worth anything. To others, it's worth a lot of money. Did you know some people actually spend $20,000, $30,000 on a baseball card? How much is a piece of art worth? Answer, whatever somebody is willing to pay for it. What's the other thing that, that determines value in our world? Well, think about it. this next one is this. It depends on who has owned it in the past. Sometimes somebody who has owned something makes it more valuable. 
For example, would a car owned by Elvis Presley probably be more valuable than the car that you own? <laughs> Most likely. Or how about a guitar owned by Jimi Hendrix? More valuable than the one you own? I read about a, a pair of sticky, smelly, worn out shoes that sold for $7,000 at auction because they happened to be owned by a fellow by the name of LeBron James. So often if somebody who is well known has owned something, it just gives additional value to sometimes very common objects. But based on these two things, these two questions that I just asked you, what's your value? And so ask yourself, who owns me? And what was paid for me? The reality is if you're a believer it is this, that you've been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ, that you belong to him. So ask yourself, how much are you worth? Ask yourself, who do I belong to? Peter says this, you belong to God. <laughs> what was paid for you? Peter says, Jesus paid for you with his life. He bought you back from the devil. God exchanged his own son for you. See, the cross proves your value. God says, I love you this much. And Jesus gave his life up for you. And Jesus didn't die for junk, right? You are valuable. So valuable that God exchanged his son for you. So imagine your worth. Some of you still remember the story of Patty Hearst, right? Her kidnapping. Her parents at one point said, you know, we will pay any price to get her back. Any price to get her ransom. Because again, she was the granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst. And because she was in that family, they said, we'll pay any price because she's my child or she's my grandchild. We'll pay whatever it takes. Peter says this, you are a child of God. That's how much you're worth. So how much was paid for you? The cross. Nobody has ever paid a greater ransom price than God paid for you. You are acceptable, you are valuable. And the last thing Peter says is, we are forgivable. He says, you have received mercy. Some of you, even though you're believers, man, I, you just think that whenever you're having problems that somehow God is just getting even with you, right? God's just trying to get back at you because you said this to that person or you did this to that person. So like the guy who was driving up to Big Bear, which is a mountain ski resort kind of thing outside of LA. And on his way up, he starts. it starts snowing, so he gets out of his car and he puts on chains. Another car comes by and he slams into his car and it goes off the cliff. He lost his car. So he didn't know what to do, so he continued to walk up to Big Bear in the snow and in the sleet. He catches a cold as he's walking up there. He rounds the corner and he sees that his cabin is burned down. He starts hitting his head against the wall saying, why me, God, why me? Heaven's pardon and a voice says, because some people just tick me off. Some of you really feel that that is the way that God feels about you. You think that whatever, whenever you've got a problem in life, God has just ticked off at you. God's trying to get even with you. But does God really treat his children that way? Scripture says no. In Isaiah 43 verse 25, he says, I am the God who forgives your sins. And I do this because of who I am. I will not hold your sins against you. You see, God doesn't hold a grudge. If you are in Christ, Paul says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. In other words, he doesn't rub it in, he rubs it out. He doesn't rehearse it, he releases it. Pastor Vin told me 
He has a woman in his church that every week tells him, God has convicted me of this sin or, or God has convicted me of that sin and every week it's just different. He finally said to her one day, does God ever say anything nice to you? He says, you are forgiven. Go and live in that freedom and in that joy. The good news is my sins are wiped away. Peter says, through what Christ would do for us, God decided to make us holy in his eyes. You're not holy, I'm not holy, but he decided to make us holy anyway. Without a single fault, does that mean you never blow it? No, but we stand before him covered with his love, Peter says. If I receive Christ, my sins are wiped away and I'm not gonna be held accountable for them anymore. Some of you think even though you're a Christian, when you get to heaven, God's gonna have this big screen and he's gonna be showing all of your sins to everybody else. Yeah, I guess to embarrass you, it's called judgment day. But the Bible says that non-believers who don't know Christ will have to go through that judgment, absolutely. But the Bible also teaches that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, salvation means you've passed from death into life, bypassed the judgment. You're not going to have to go through that. And if you do, Jesus is just gonna say, you're forgiven. Is that good news? That is amazing news. Does that mean I'm perfect? No, 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 it doesn't. It just means I'm covered with his love. God says, I'm not gonna hold that against you anymore. You never need to ask, well, God love me today. His love is consistent and it's unconditional. The mountains and the hills, they may crumble, but my love for you will never end. So says the Lord who loves you. When you receive Jesus into your heart, your heart becomes Christ's home. God begins to live in you. Does Jesus Christ really wanna make a home in your heart? Yes. And he doesn't want to give you a religion, guys. He wants to give you a relationship with him. So he makes his home in your heart. And when he does, you find that you are accepted and valuable, and capable and forgivable. Dr. Charles Cooley was the one-time dean of American sociology. And he said this, your self-esteem, your self-worth or image is determined to a large degree by what you think the people or the person that matters most to you thinks about you. I wanna to suggest to you with that truth that you make Jesus Christ the most important person in your life. For he says, you are acceptable. You are valuable. You are forgivable. May that give you the comfort and the courage and the peace as you deal with all the complexities of life. For in them, God shouts out to you, I've got you, I love you, my dear child. Guys, go with that encouragement today. Go with the love of God in your heart. Know that he's got you as you go through this difficult life and serve him always with joy, amen? Amen, let me pray. God, we love you so much and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he continues to shout out to us. I love you, I love you, I love you, I forgive you, you are mine, I am with you, I will strengthen you, I will be with you all the way through your life. That it's not dependent on you anymore, but it's dependent on me, he says. Trust me, I've got you. Guys, those words, I've got you, they've always meant a lot to me, especially at communion. I see God just wrapping his arms around me in that moment saying, you're forgiven, I've got you 
May that words, may those words, may that encouragement continue to resound in your mind through every moment of your life. May you never forget that he's got you as you're going through this life. May you never forget that he will strengthen you for any adversity to come. May you never forget that his forgiveness is always yours. And may that give you comfort in the days ahead. And that's my prayer today. Go with that peace in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious always unto you. And may he look upon you now with his favor and grant you forever his peace. Guys, once again, go in that peace today and serve your Lord always with joy. Amen? Amen.